Welcome. You're listening to the Bible Marathon Project, your one-stop class for learning Bible interpretation, defending your faith, using spiritual gifts, and building consistency in your devotion with God. We hope these sessions are a blessing to you as they've been to us. And without further ado, we say welcome to Apologetic Sunday. Great. All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Bible Marathon. Mm-mm-mm. Let me just kind of prep your minds. Let me prep your minds a little bit and then we'll just pray. Today is going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. You're going to learn a lot. So I'm prepping you. I'm still going to do this again, but I'm prepping your minds right now. Be ready to receive everything you can. Take notes. Get ready with your questions because it's Apologetic Sunday. All right. Let's, um, let's, let's say a word of prayer. Father in heaven, And Father, who dwells in us by his spirit, we thank you, we appreciate you, and we love you. Thank you for this opportunity that you give to us every Sunday to gather and to learn your word, to be strengthened in our faith, to be encouraged by the teaching of the word. We are open, we are receptive. We ask, O Lord, that we live here edified, we live here strengthened in our resolve, in our convictions about truth the truth of the gospel, the defense of the gospel. And Lord, we're ready. We're ready. We're ready. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. All right. So, by the way, we, we're fun. It's, it's a, we're fun. Um, we're fun of having our videos on. So, if you can have your video on, it's really good. But no pressure. All right. It's just good that we can see your faces um, and get to know you better. So, all right. At this point... I'm going to invite Miriam and just before she comes up, I'll give you like what, what this is. So every week we get to read through the Bible, not the whole Bible. <laughs> we get to read a particular book or portions, uh, chapters of the Bible. And then we uh, review it together. And then we come here on Sundays and we also have some time to do a review here. So that's what we're going to do right now. And we're going to be reviewing Matthew chapter um 13 to 16 and that's going to be done by miriam so miriam over to you right now hi Ernest. i don't know about you but i'll be reviewing romance not matthew did i say matthew <laughs> you said matthew i was wondering too what i mean what's on the screen please i'm sorry <laughs> I don't know where I got Matthew from. How did I say Matthew, please? Is there a Matthew on my screen somewhere? I'm not the only one that this happens to. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. So, um, oh, okay. So, Ramaster, how many minutes do I have? All right, fine. Let's go. Okay. So, um, Romans chapter 13. Uh, from the first part of Romans chapter 13, we was talking about human authority. And really just says that human authority is recognized by God. And we're mandated as Christians to actually obey it and not just go through life being unruly. Um, and then verses 8 to 10 was quite interesting because, you know, it reinforced or reinforces what we've heard time and time again, which is law fulfills the requirements 
of the law. You know, love your neighbor as yourself and then love God. Yeah, Deborah is recorded. Yes, yeah, so love your neighbor as yourself and love God. And then um, verses 11 to 14, you know, the urgency to live right. So our conduct as Christians matters. So we have to live right with one another, with the authority, with our government and everything. Uh, and then chapter 14. Um, chapter 14 is very, very important because, because, um, sorry. because we can get carried away as Christians, you know, um, as you get older as a Christian, you begin to feel like, you know, you're so spiritual, you've grown, other people are not up to your standard and all of that, and we tend to condemn and tear other people down, and um, chapter 14 just really says, like, that's not right, other people are are still learning, you know, their consciences might still be weak. So if you're doing something that, you know, another Christian brother sees and thinks this isn't right, then you shouldn't do that near them. And Paul used examples, like very basic examples, like the things you eat and the days you decide to worship. Um, of course, there's no law against what you eat or when you decide to praise God. But if there are people around you, that are still very keen on those things, then it is not for you to condemn or to tear down because whatever we do, we do to honor God. So as long as they are honoring God in what they do, that's very fine. Um, yeah. And then verse 12 says that we will give a very if a personal account to God. So we're not just going through life for this for the sake of going through life, you know, everything. <laughs> Everything we do, we're going to get to a point, you know, where we actually give an account to God of the lives we lived. And then another thing that is very important is not to be the reason why another believer will fall. So just like what he was saying earlier, if there's any reason, like, you know, like people say things like, ah, what was my business? You know, is it, that's their own wala. I'm just doing my own. That, that's not love. That believers and ensure that you're not the reason why. And then um, verse 17, living a life of good, so our lifestyle is how we serve Christ, is how we show that we are light and the basic things that we need to show for that light is just to live a life of goodness, a life of peace, a life of joy, you know, in the Holy Spirit. And then uh, verses 19 is very important. We build each other up, unity and harmony um, with brethren. You know, the families that God has given us is very important. So we don't tear each other down. We build each other up in every way we can. And then verses 23, you know, talks about being your convictions. So moving over to um, chapter 15. Uh, I know it doesn't really apply to us per se because we are the Gentiles that the Jews were kind of feeling they were too good for at the time. But even now, there's a way you might feel like some some people are not worthy of Christ and that is very wrong because good news is for everybody so everybody is 
all inclusive. There's nobody that is to be left out. So yeah, uh, and then um, yeah, that's that about that. And then the, the emphasis on scripture, you know, in verses four, it says, yeah. So everything that was written in scripture, I know this is something that has been mentioned a few times on the group. So everything, you know, from Genesis to Malachi is about Jesus, you know, the promise of Jesus to the ancestors, to the prophets, to Moses and all of that. So that's something we should consider every time we read the Bible that we see Jesus in everything we do, because he's the fulfillment of the scripture, of the word. He is the word. Um, and then, yeah, moving over to verse 19, you know. Yeah, the prophecies about Christ, the Gentiles. And then verses 13 is a Pauline prayer that is very important that I think we ought to pray. Um, we pray for ourselves and pray for other believers around us. Okay, so I have one minute, so I'm just going to run to chapter 16. Uh, and then uh, verse 16 is something I found very interesting, you know, that we're made holy by the Holy Spirit. That just reminds us that we're not saved by our works. We're saved by faith. And it's the Holy Spirit in us that enables us to please God. So, you know, no pressure, guys. You have the Holy Spirit. Uh, and verse 22, you know, don't go preaching to a church or don't go preaching in a church. You have plenty of unsaved people. You know, Paul said he made it a point to make sure he doesn't go where churches were already planted. He went where, you know, the gospel of Christ had never been preached. So go into the world and don't be a poacher. And then verse 23, you know, Paul, Paul basically asked them to pray that the people who accept the offering, he basically asked them to pray for every move he was going to make going to Jerusalem. And that's a very key lesson, you know, Pray about everything. Pray without season. Pray, pray, pray. And uh, verse 16, ch sorry, chapter 16 is a long list of greetings and prayers to several people. And verses 25 just tells us something, you know, about scripture that salvation was a secret until Christ came. So, you know, the plan of salvation has always been there, but it was in times and shadows. And it was eventually revealed in Christ. So we should actually consider ourselves lucky that, you know, it was revealed when we were born or something. But yeah. And then um, verses 26, the Great Commission foretold. So our mission as Christians to go into the world was foretold in the scripture in the Old Testament, even before Jesus came. So it's not something new. And also that's our mandate and we should try to keep preaching the word thank you very much thank you I'm miriam sorry. no thank yeah. you that was awesome thank you so much all right so you guys we are done with romans how, how many of you thought it was like a dream i know when we started this you know everyone was scared ah, reading the bible in a year can we do that and i said that's not the plan our plan here is not read the bible in a year in a year there are many plans like that our plan here is to get you growing in the knowledge of the word all right and that will involve reading the scriptures and so we've done a beautiful job in the new testament we're going to start a new book um this week and i will announce that towards the end and you guys will be super excited trust me but some people have a hint already all right um welcome again for those of you i see a number of people who are here for the first time i just want to say welcome to bible marathon this is the best place you can be right now um 
it's a platform. Let me see if I can pull this up on the screen. Okay. But this is a platform that is dedicated to making disciples, all right? Seeing people grow in their knowledge of, of the word of God. And as name implies, we're running a race, all right? And so we're helping each other on that race, making sure that we are fit, you know, we prove our fitness in the work of the ministry. Um, and so at this point, this is the second Sunday. And every Sunday, we dedicate each Sunday to a particular aspect of the Christian faith, right? So the first Sundays of the month is always dedicated to hermeneutics. And by the way, I actually have an, uh, um, an assignment, but I don't think we have time. So David is the one. Um, let me see. Can I do it today? No. Yeah, I won't have enough time. But I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it into the group since we're already done with the book of Romans. I think everyone should be able to do this assignment. If you haven't read the book of Romans yet, it's not too late. All right, let's 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 get to it. If you have any issues with understanding any aspect, then reach out to me. Of course, next month Hermeneutics Sunday, we're gonna dedicate that to teaching some concepts in the book of Romans, Romans nine, um, and a bunch of other texts that seem to be difficult for some people to get. But yeah, I had I get I got feedback today from someone from um Daniel. Don't know if he's here now, but he was like, man, Romans 14 was beautiful. Like he he hadn't seen that before and it made a lot of sense to him. So I mean that's the kind of feedback I like to get. Um if you're not in an accountability group, please join one. All right, join one. If you're here for the first time, we have a WhatsApp group where we keep ourselves accountable. Um, so at the end, we'll give you more information about that. All right, so let me just say hi to a few people before we move on to the next thing. I want to say thank you again, Miriam. Thank you so much for that. All right, so I see David. Hi, David. Good to, good to see you. I saw you and you disappeared. Oh. <laughs> good to see you. How are you? Awesome. Welcome. Um, I'm just saying hi to you. Awesome. Awesome. I'm saying hi to the people that I haven't seen, um, you know, a lot of. Um, okay, Lucia, good to see you here again. Priye, how many of you remember our session with Priye? That was awesome. He taught us on prayer, introduction to prayer. It was a beautiful teaching. So good to have you here, brother. Hi, Ernest. Hi, yeah, welcome again. Welcome again. Thank you. Um, see my people. Yeah, all here. I love you guys so much. Who am I missing out that I haven't met before? Okay. I mean, and we have some people tuned in on Mixlr as well. So um, that's that's good. But yeah, the most exciting person for me to see today is here. And I'm so glad that he's here with us right now. Um, and I'm about to introduce him, but let me just let you know that I'm extremely biased because I've seen I've seen him grow to where he is right now. And um, mark my words, I think personally, he's going to be one of Nigeria's foremost apologists. And um, I, I, I believe that with all of my heart. He's commonly known as the Lord's Engager. He's one of the, um, I mean, he's the, I would say the inspiration or the um, facilitator of um, one of the, um, 
how do I put this? So he has he has a lot of platforms. Let me do it that way because I know he will want to be want me to be careful with this. But he has a lot of platforms where he reaches out to people on on apologetic matters. You know, the defense of the faith, especially um, with with a response to other faiths like Islam and. Um, all the uh, you know different cults that keep that that show up. So I, I I'm trying to just be ambiguous because you know I don't want to be too out there about this. But I just want you to be ready. I want you to be ready to receive everything that we're gonna hear and learn today. And like I said, uh, this is Apologetics Sunday. It's the second Sunday on the, in the month or the third Sunday because this is a month with five Sundays, and the first one was for our party. So. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, I want us to welcome no other than David Inyolua, or Inyolua David, or however I was to have the name mentioned. He's a brother of mine. And I want to say thank you for honoring this invitation. All right. Thank you so much. Hi. Hi, Ernest. Can you hear me? Loud and clear. All right. Hi, everyone. Um, Ernest, thank you so much for having me. I, I really appreciate this. Uh, thank you for honoring me with this invitation. Um, so uh, where do I even start from? I think this topic for me is a very, very important one because uh, this topic was what you know led me to apologetics. So in my 300 level or 400 level, can't, can't remember, um, I encountered a guy who you know, was throwing shades at Christianity. Then at that point, I began to question Christianity itself. Like, okay, why am I Christian? Why should I believe Christianity over, you know, Islam or Buddhism? Was it because I was born a Christian that I believe it's true? You know, why Jesus over uh, Krishna, you know? So I feel like this, this topic is very important for the body at large because until you understand why you believe what you believe, you might not be effective in reaching out to people, you know? So, um, can people focus in the comment section? <laughs> All right, so uh, let me start by, by asking a question, you know, why, the same question I asked myself, why Jesus, why not Zeus? Why Jesus, you know, why not Thor? Why Jesus, why not Allah? And, you know, while I can go on to make a philosophical case as to why politism fails, God willing, before the end of uh, today's session, I'll briefly touch on it. But while I can make, while I could make uh, a philosophical case of, as to why politism fails, I want us to examine why Christianity is unique amongst other worldviews. So they want to answer the question, why is Christianity true and other religions are false. Can everybody still hear me? Because I don't trust Nigerian network. All right. So before we go on, I want us to read a couple of verses from scripture. Acts 14, Acts 4 verse 12, uh, John 14 verse 6, and 1 Timothy 2 5. So let's start from Acts 4 verse 12. It says, and there is no, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among mankind by which we must be saved. John 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, For there is one God 
I'm a mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Father, I want to thank you for a time as this. Father, I want to thank you for your word. Thank you because as we go through your word, as we study our faith, we are, our, our convictions are strengthened. We are inspired to share the hope that we found in you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I read, please can, can we put on our mic because I just feel like I'm talking to, to myself. At least let me hear background noise. Please, those are in Nigeria, let me hear uh, Danfo or Kada around your house. Yo, bro, yo, bro. Come on, everybody. All right. Thank you so much. All right. So I read those verses to point out uh, a claim of Christianity, which is that although it's an inclusive faith, uh, I think it was Miriam that said it, you know, Christianity is inclusive. So although Christianity is an inclusive faith, it is also an exclusive one. And we live in a political correct culture where we all want to get along, hold hands together and just sing kumbaya. Nobody wants to offend another person. Therefore, many have sought out to make Christianity more accommodating to, you know, today's culture. You hear people say things like, oh, we're all on different paths to God. Even professing Christians, you know, I've heard people say Jesus is one of the ways to God and all religions teach the same thing. Before I go on, I want to first, I want us to open up that statement, all religions teach the same thing. And common sense tells us that contradictory answers are not true. For example, if you're having, uh, what do you call this thing? I don't know what they call it in the US, but we used to call it OBJ here. Uh, multi-choice, yes, multi-choice, multi-choice uh, test. And you have four answers, you know, they say, okay, two plus two, four, five, six, seven. You can't say all answers are correct. One has to be correct and the rest are false or all of them are false altogether, but they can't all be correct at the same time. It's the same way with religion, you know. It's funny how a lot of people don't realize that truth, they expect truth to be objective when it comes to medicine, when it comes to navigation, for example. I won't just enter a plane and I'm like, okay, I'm going to America and all roads lead to America. I might get down to Balete or should you? Are you following me? So when you examine the claims of, you know, different religions, let's take, for instance, uh, Buddhism. When you die, the Buddhists will tell you that you will get reincarnated, blah, 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 till you get to that state of Nirvana where you, where, where karma has done his beatings. And Islam tells you, okay, uh, keep the pillars of Islam and try to let your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. And eventually uh, you get admitted into Aljana. And Aljana, what's happening in Aljana? Aljana is basically an eternal hotel full of wine. I'm, I'm, most, I'm, I'm being honest here, you know. Aljana is a place where men have virgins and uh, are given to wine and all those things. But in the Christian faith, Jesus says that none shall be given to marriage. God will be our ultimate pleasure in heaven. So which one, when I die, which one am I going to experience? Which one would man objectively experience? So the claim that all religion teaches the, uh, the same thing, it's unintelligent. So let's move on. So regardless of how culture gets hostile to, uh, you know, the Christian faith or our faith, in first, um, second Thessalonians, oh, my dog is not disturbing. I'm sorry. Okay. In second Thessalonians chapter two, verse 15, we're told to stand firm and hold fast the traditions which we have been taught. All right. As faithful followers of Christ, 
we are to affirm and remain in the traditions and doctrines of Christ. I'd like to read something from um, 2 John chapter 1, verse 9. It's very, very important we read this. John the Apostle said, anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. So you can't claim to be a Christian if you don't abide in the teachings of God. You can't claim to worship, you know, God, the God of the Bible, if you think, you know, Christianity is progressive. We are supposed to abide in the doctrines of Christ. There's no innovation. There's no, you know, let's put in a few things. Let's remove out. Let's remove a few things. No, we're supposed to abide. And once we abide, we have God and the Son. Clear? So uh, back to what Jesus and the apostles tell, tell us about the exclusivity of salvation. Like I said, um, Christianity is claims to be an inclusive faith that is exclusive. So here's what I mean by that. Christianity claims to be inclusive in the sense that, you know, like Miriam said, young or old, white or black, male or female, rich or poor can come in. However, you know, it's exclusive in the sense that only it is the way. So let me give an instance. Christianity is saying that, okay, everyone is welcome to the party. It's exclusive, exclusive in the sense that there's no other party out there and every other party out there that claims to be a party is a sham. So the question we want to ask ourselves is, is this claim valid? Is this claim true? And to answer this question, we need to define what truth is. What is truth? You know, truth is that which corresponds with reality, that which corresponds with the fact. A statement is said to be true when um, it corresponds with reality. Basically, it, it agrees with reality. For example, when I say um, I have an iPad in, at hand or in my hand, you know, it's true if my statement corresponds to reality of what's in my hand. I can't say I have an iPad in my hands and my hands are empty. It doesn't, why am I saying myself? Are we still here? Okay. I can't say I have an iPad in my hands when my hands are empty. That's not true. Are you following me? So the question therefore is, does Christianity perfectly describe reality? Do the claims of Christianity about mankind correspond with the facts and reality of mankind? Let me take that again. So the question we're gonna be asking is, does Christianity correspond or perfectly describe reality? Do the claims of Christianity about mankind correspond with the facts of mankind? Now to answer this question, we have to ask ourselves another question, which is, are people basically good? Are people basically good? And I don't think we need any religious lens to see that there's something fundamentally wrong with man. I mean, when you when you open the news, you see a story of rape, terror, abuse, theft, corruption, greed, and so on. And if you take a trip down uh, the history of man, you have no choice but to conclude that human beings are mad. I'm sorry I use that strong word, but human beings have a big problem. Uh, I'm a true crime junkie, and NS is also a true crime junkie. We always share... Uh, uh, Netflix uh, series to watch and all that. And when you watch those series, you realize that people are actually, people are dark, you know, from greedy mob bosses who just take out lives like, like it's nothing to serial killers, to rapists, to, for example, I, and I don't like the statement where people say crime makes people evil. I'm uh, sorry, poverty makes people evil. It doesn't make sense. For example, I, 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 I remember watching, um, a series on Netflix, uh, Jeffrey Epstein, you know, 
wealthy guy, big guy, boxed up guy, yet he was an abuser. He was a molester. So how did poverty inspire such evil? It doesn't make sense. Are you following me? So another statement you hear from people is that religion is the problem of the world. But if people were not religious, you know, there will be no issue. And please, can you put up that slide I sent to you about, you know, the breakdown of evil perpetrated by people who are religious? Is it up now? Can I see it? Let me swipe. Okay. I can't see it though. What did you hear me last say? Start reading again from the top. All right, all right, mm -hmm. all right. Like I said, um, these are evil perpetrated by irreligious men, men who are not God-fearing, who were, you know, sort of atheistic. Six million Jews were murdered by the Nazis. 25 million people were slaughtered by the Soviet communist regime. Um, the Rwandan genocide, over 800,000 Hutus were slaughtered by the Tutsis. The Chinese communists killed over 70 million Chinese and in Congo between 1998 to 2008, over 5 million people were murdered. And if you just look around you, you see when people, maybe you're on the road and you see two people having a conflict, they are fighting, they, they are fighting themselves. If you don't stay in Lagos, you might not see it often. But if you plow Osho the road, go come, sorry, my phone wants to fall. If you plow Osho the road, go come, you see something like that. And you ask yourself, how did religion inspire that? If religion is the cause of problems in the world, how did religion inspire that? When you see someone steal, like for example, greedy, corrupt, uh, greedy leaders or corrupt leaders, how did religion inspire their theft? Are you following me? So the statement that religion you know, inspires crime or is the motivation behind evil, yes, true. You know, a lot of evil has been perpetrated in the name of religion. Are you following me? But those uh, evils were an underlying factor and religion was just used as a tool, not the motivating factor behind it. Are you following me? And I think I sent you a statistics in earnest. Uh, according to the Encyclopedia of Words, please, can you put that up, please? All right, yes. According to the Encyclopedia of Words, Religion as a primary uh, source of conflict, out of 1,768 of them, religion takes just 6.98%. Are you following me? That is 123 of those 1,768 uh, wars were caused by religion. And I have to say this, I have to say this, more wars were waged for Islam than all other religions combined. Islam started over 66 wars, while the rest, the other religions combined, Christianity, uh, Judaism, and all those other ones were just 57. And it's, that's because, you know, Islam, jihad is basically, you know, a tenant of their faith, you get. So, like I said, even though religion is used as a tool for oppression, there is a propelling factor underneath this atrocity is done in the name of religion. And we all, when we look within, we all yearn for you know, that utopia, that perfect society. We all want peace, we all want safety. Some run from Nigeria to Canada for something better. Amen, amen. But when you get to, when you get to these foreign cities, you realize that these foreign cities also have 
a way of expressing the same madness that Nigeria shares. They are not perfect in themselves. Are you following me? And we all have, you know, an ex- yes, Priye ran from Nigeria to Canada for something better. God did not send him. I don't know who sent him. <laughs> I don't know who sent him. But go, go on the last day, all shall be revealed. Anyway, so we all have an expectation of how we want the world to be or how the world ought to be. And this is the reality of man, that there's something wrong with us. The question, therefore, is what religion or worldview then perfectly describes us and offers us a solution? Because you see, as water was made for thirst, as in, sorry, as yes, as water was made for thirst, I mean, thirst for water. Yes, thirst for water. Yes, let, let's use that word. As thirst was made for water, so does the desire for a perfect society uh, and utopia proves that there's something that must fulfill that longing. We're all longing for that perfect society. So the question is, okay, what worldview offers us a solution in spite of our problems? So let's take Islam, for example. You know, according to Islamic theology, men and women, please, does anyone have any questions so far? I don't want to be, just be talking now. And am I clear? Have I been clear so far? Yes, please, I have a question. Very clear. Uh, what question? Is it related to what? I have a couple of questions. Yeah, can we do something just for the sake of continuity? So, all any question you have, just put it down. We we have a specified time for questions. So, if you have a question, make sure you take note of it. Um, Daniel is going to officiate that. So, Daniel will get get back to you. All you need to just say is, "I have a question in the chat." All right. All right. Let me Go just ahead. let me just put it out there. Let me just put it out there, please. I'm not all knowing, so if I don't know your question, I will not answer it. I'll tell you to you another time. You want to know how we answer. All right. So let me just put it out there. Anyway, so like I said, let's take Islam, for example. According to Islamic theology, men and women are fundamentally good and not fallen in the sense of Christianity. According to the Quran, you know, there's a retelling of the story at the garden, however distorted, not like the one we have in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. We are told by Muhammad that Adam fell to the temptation of Satan. However, God forgave him sent him and expelled him out of the garden. The garden is somewhere up in heaven and God sent him down here on earth, you know. And what the Islamic theology is trying to say is that, okay, after everything, we're all going to go back to that garden. Anyway, so God expelled Adam, Allah, let me know you God. Allah expelled uh, Adam and Eve from the garden to come to earth here. The problem, however, with the Islamic view is this. If Adam was sent out of the garden because of his sin, and we are all fundamentally good. Why aren't we in the garden also? Why are we here? Are you following me? If we are good by nature, why are we here? Why are we not in the garden? And also, if we're really good, you know, if we're basically good, why did Allah give the Sharia law? I mean, why do we have laws in society, especially Islamic ones, a to you know to control human behavior if we're good? Are you following me? And one thing we see. Uh, Muhammad says that, okay, everyone is born a Muslim. Uh, they call it the natural disposition towards Allah. However, it's the child's parents that converts, you know, the child to Christianity or, or Judaism or whatever religion is. And when you think about it, there's a problem with that, uh, you know, claim. Because, okay, if every child was born a Muslim and the parents converts him to Christianity and all that, who converted the parent? There has to be a first course. Are you following me? There has to be a first cause to that rebellion. Are you clear? So we are seeing 
a disconnect here. And speaking of children, you know, if people are born good, why do we teach children to behave good? Shouldn't goodness come naturally to them? For example, when you see a child do something wrong and you want to accuse the child and you want to say, okay, what did you do? You tell the child, tell me the truth. What happened? Why do you have to tell the child to tell you the truth if you know the child is good naturally and truth is supposed to come naturally to the child? Or you tell a child, oh, share your toys because selfishness is not good. It's supposed to come naturally to the child. Are you following me? Or, you know, a child takes something that doesn't belong to the child. You scold the child. If we teach children, if we're naturally good, why do we teach children how they ought to behave? Are are we clear on that? Why do we teach children how they ought to behave? So we can see that from a natural standpoint, now I'm I'm not appealing to any scripture, any special revelation, from a natural standpoint, you can see that there's something clearly wrong with mankind. And I'm going to pose this question to you. You also look within, look within yourself. From the time you were born up to now, are you normal? <laughs> I mean, you've done something wrong. You've done evil to another person. As Lisa has taken another person's stuff, maybe in primary school, you know, taking another person's pen or eraser, or you just, maybe you just have one piece of for somebody. Maybe one day you punch the person, you, you were in a fight. You have a problem. We all have problems. Because a lot of times people, people see the problems in other people, but they don't look at themselves and see a problem. That's why you hear people say, oh, if God is good, why does he stop evil? Because you're only seeing evil from an external perspective. Have you looked within and seen the evil in your own heart? Are you following me? Let me not jump ahead of myself. God help me. So how does the Judeo-Christian worldview correspond with the reality of man? Now we've seen what man is, all right? And Islam fails to answer that question because Islam says we're fundamentally good. But that is false because, I mean, it doesn't correspond with the reality of man. It doesn't correspond with who man is. So how does the Judeo-Christian worldview answer this problem? How does it correspond with the reality of man? Let's see. Romans 3, verse 9 to 10. Romans 3, verse 9 to 10. Paul speaking, he says, what then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have both proved, both Jew and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. In verse 23 of that same chapter, he says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So the Judeo-Christian worldview is saying, our greatest problem as humans is our sin. Young, old, rich, poor, white, black, Asian, European, male, female, we're all under sin. Canada, Nigeria, Oshodi, Ontario, we're all under sin. Jesus also said in Mark 7, verse 20 to 23, he said, it reads, and he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For the for, sorry, for from within, out of the heart of man proceeds the evil thoughts, fornication, theft, murders, adultery, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile 
the man. Jesus said that man's problem is his heart. And out of his heart proceeds all these things that I have read. In Jeremiah 17 verse 9, we read, he says, the heart of man, sorry, the human heart is most deceitful. I'm using the NLT. The human heart is most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? So the question I'll pose to you now is this. Based on what we've seen, you know, without any religious lens, does this perfectly describe the reality of man? Yes. If this is true about man, then there's a problem for man. Since God, a moral, perfect, judging creator exists, man is therefore accountable before him. If this is true about man, I'll take that again. If this is true about man, the man is in deep trouble because God who is a judging, morally perfect being exists. Therefore, man is accountable before him. And God in his perfection will not compromise on any of his attributes. Are you following me? When asked, when asked, okay, what is God? You tell me God is the greatest, the greatest possible conceivable being, perfect in all his attributes. If, you know, God was not perfect in his knowledge, he cannot be God. If God was not perfect in his power, he cannot be God. If God was not perfect in, you know, knowing all things, he cannot be God. The same way with his attributes. If God is just, man is therefore condemned before him because since God is perfect, he must mete out justice for every sin, every wrongdoing. Because if God just sweeps, you know, sin under the rug, he is no different from us. Is I mean, it's just as corrupt as we are. Are you following me? And you see, a God who forgives sin at the expense of his justice is a God made in the image of man. A God who forgives sin at the expense of his justice. I think this is the point where you say, hmm, hmm, hmm. A God who forgives sin at the expense of his justice is a God made in the image of man. So like I said, we are all condemned before this perfectly just moral being. We are in, in, uh, incapable of, you know, redeeming ourselves. It's like a poor man who is in jail who cannot pose the bail. Hmm. Ah, right. It's like a poor man who is in jail who cannot, you know, bail himself. I will not take that again. You know, he cannot bail himself. Yeah. No matter how he, she, he shakes the... the the prison doors, he cannot come out. Police will put him inside. Are you following me? So man is, you know, spiritually and morally bankrupt before God. He cannot save himself. He is not capable of saving himself before a morally perfect judge. Are we clear? And according to Islam, the solution to this problem is, you know, man keeps on doing good deeds, good deeds to our to his bad deeds. Hopefully, you know, he will get it, he will get admitted into Aljana. But the problem with this is that Allah is therefore unjust because for God to be perfect, like I said, he has to punish everything. But the problem now is God is also merciful. God is also merciful, and mercy demands that he extends forgiveness. You see. And in his perfection, just like God must be perfectly just, he must also be perfectly merciful. And how do we reconcile 
trust me, every other, you know, worldview out there that tries to reconcile the mercy and the justice of God, you find God, you know, elevating his mercy over his justice. Like I said, that is the God created in the image of man. That is the God who is not perfect. Are you following me? But the Judeo-Christian worldview, how does God reconcile his justice and his mercy? The answer to this question hinges on who Jesus is. On who Jesus is. First of all, Jesus claimed to be God. I believe our whole Christians here, so we are familiar with, you know, the claims of Jesus' deity. Jesus claimed to be God. And he was condemned for that very claim. I mean, that was what got him killed. You know. Secondly, Jesus thought that he would die as a sacrifice for human sins in order to set us right with God. So there are two claims here. Jesus claimed to be God, you know, claimed to be divine, and also claimed that in his death, he was going to atone for the sins of humanity, for the wrongdoings of humanity, to be able to reconcile, you know, God and man. Because whether we like it or not, there's a chasm between us and God. And we need, like I said, we need, you know, a mediator, basically. It's like there's a great gulf between where I am and where Ernest is. What can only get me to Ernest is plane ticket. No matter how I do, there's no place like home. I flap my hands and flap my legs. No matter how I struggle so hard, until a vehicle takes me from there to where Ernest is, it's not possible. That's how you know man's relationship with God is. Someone say you can't touch the wall at 3 a.m. <laughs> Some people do it though. Some people do it. Some people do it. I know pray. Pray, pray. You cannot just pray. <laughs> anyway, yes, like I said, and anyone can make claims. I mean, I could wake up one morning and claim to be God. I could wake up one morning and claim that my death would atone for the sins of everybody. Are you following me? But what validates the claims of Jesus or what proves the claims of Jesus is his resurrection. You know, the Jews came to Jesus and they asked him for a sign. That what sign would you give us? Our prophet has been giving us sign back to back, back to back. What sign would you give us? And Jesus said, you are the first generation. Why are you always looking for a sign? Eh? He said, okay, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, so shall the son of man be in the belly of the earth for three days also. And that was Jesus's, you know, when you look at, when you look at the miracles of Jesus, there's no miracle greater than the resurrection. And this is where I have a problem with Islam. You know, Islam uh, affirms that Jesus was an historical character. And when you speak to a Muslim, they'll say, yo, we believe in Jesus too, cheers. And for Christians who are not well taught, they might fall for that because they're like, oh, we believe in Jesus. But when you dig deep, okay, what about you? What about this Jesus do you believe? Islam will tell you Jesus did not die. He was not the son of God. Within Islam, ingrained into Islam is a denial of the essential doctrine of Christianity. Because without the deity of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ will not make sense. Without the sacrifice of Christ, there's no salvation for sin. Without the sacrifice of Christ, without the death of Christ that Islam denies, there's no resurrection. There's no hope for mankind in the face of impending death. So Islam, you know, 
This is not Jesus. This is Jesus. I don't know where he got this from, but this is not the historical Jesus of the Bible. So this is what separates Christianity from every other world out there, the resurrection of Jesus. And there's this statement I often make, which is, it's either Jesus rose or he didn't. If he did, every worldview that denies his existence, his deity, his atoning death, and his resurrection is false. Any worldview that denies this, because like we said, truth is that which corresponds to reality. Is it true that Jesus died on the cross? Is it a reality? Does it correspond with reality that he died on the cross? Yes. Did he resurrect from the dead? Yes. If that is true, every other thing that denies these facts are false. No matter how you know, politically incorrect that is, they are false. So why then you know, should we believe that Jesus is the only way? Why then should we believe that Jesus, why then should we believe Jesus amongst other gods? Simply because of the universality of man's sin and the uniqueness of Jesus' solution, which is his atoning death and resurrection. I'll take that again. Why should we believe Jesus among other gods? Basically, because of the universality of sin and his solution, which is his atoning death and resurrection. You know, I, I, you might come across people, I mentioned this earlier, people say, if God, if God is good, if God is all powerful, why is there evil? You know, they expect God to step into every evil situation and stop it. Let me give you a story, true life story. So uh, when I was little and we we're trying to move to our new house. So we used to go to that plot of land when they were building it, you know, would see just we're kids, we we're just happy to go, you know, sightseeing and all that. And there was this, we had this termite infestation that we were dealing with then. I don't know if you know a termite here. So it's like a sand castle like this that builds itself up and all that. And every time we went there, we pull it down, you know, try to scatter it, dig it out and everything. Next time we'll come again, we'll see it as, it has, has been erected, erected again. And over and over again, like five times that happened. Then we came across some men that said, ah, if we keep on doing that, it will still happen because the queen is still in the soil. So she will keep on, you know, I don't know how it works in the ant colony. I don't know. But she will keep on instructing her guy, say, go build it, go and build it, go and build it, go and build it, and all that. So they offered us a, a solution. They said that we have to kill an animal. I'm not going to tell you the animal because a lot of you be like, oh, oh my God. But it was the offspring. So they said we have to kill the animal and bury it inside. Then the scent of the dead animal. Why is there no squeezing his face like that? This happened, no. <laughs> so they said, the scent of the, I did not, I did not say the dog go before John Wick come and looks for me. I did not say the dog go. <laughs> so <laughs> I have a dog. So they said the scent of the animal would send the queen away and all that. So that happened. And the time I see was gone. So I said all that to say this because a lot of people are expecting God to do the same thing we did to the anthill. Stop, you know, come where there's a problem, stop it. Come where there's a problem and stop it. But until God addresses the source of that problem, they will keep on being problems after problems after problems. And this was where the Jews made a mistake. They were expecting so little of the Messiah. You know, they were oppressed by the Romans and they were expecting a Messiah who would come 
and, you know, conquered Romans and everything. But the truth of the matter is this, when you look through the history of the Jews, they've been under oppression from Egypt. God rescued them. They were under Babylon and all that and all that and all that. So we see a sequence of problems after problems after problems. And they were expecting the little of the Messiah to just come and defeat their problem. But the Messiah came to defeat a bigger problem, which is sin and death. Because like we read, out of the heart of man proceeds evil. So until God addresses, you know, that problem itself, which is sin, back to back, you go just see I'm like that hands here. It's what you popping it, popping it, popping it, popping it. Are we clear? So let me read. Like I said, Jesus came to defeat two of our biggest problems, sin and death. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 to 15. And can, can we put that up? Hebrews 2, 14 to 15. It says, therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, talking about Jesus, excuse me, likewise also partook of the same, so that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. Now, now emphasis on verse 15. It says, and free those who through the fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. He says it came to free those who were bound to the fear of death, whether I like it or not. People might numb, they might get numb to the idea of death. They're like, oh, whatever happens, it'll be. But truth of the matter is this, we're all scared of death. Nobody wants to die. Like two faces, nobody wants to die, but he wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to die, but he wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to die. We're all scared of death. And the reason why we're scared of death is because of the fear, is the fear of the unknown, basically. We don't know what comes after. It's like a land that has not been visited, you know, and you're telling me, oh, I have to go there. I don't even know if wild animals are there. You're telling me to enter, to jump into, you know, a cliff that I, to jump down from a cliff that I don't even know what's down there. And Jesus came to give us hope in the face of this death. He says he came to deliver those who through the fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. So if, like I said, if God was to just come and, for example, we believe that God is good. Are, we following? Are you following me? We believe that God is good. And in his goodness, if you believe I'm good or I'm wise and all that, and I see a child who is sick or doesn't have money to pay for his hospital bills, and I say, ah, you know what I'll do for this child? I'll buy the child a bicycle. Am I wise? Am I good? Even though I might be good, yes, but... You are not wise. You are not wise. <laughs> I am not in my power, in my might. I'm not offering solution to that child's need. This child needs good health care and I can provide it. It's the same way if God just comes and does things for us and does not, you know, face our problem or does not offer a solution in our problem. Are you following me? And like I read in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, it says, the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And see what God did about that. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 to 27, it says, moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you heart of flesh. I will pull my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. 
you know, David, after he scooped Bathsheba and killed her husband and, you know, laid with her, he cried to God. He said, create in me a clean heart, O Lord. He knew where his problem was from. He knew that the problem was his heart. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew the right spirit within me. And when we look at the New Testament, after the sacrifice of Jesus, in Titus chapter 3, verse 3 to 5, Paul tells us, he says, For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various loss and pleasures, spending our lives in malice and envy, hating, sorry, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness, hallelujah, but when the kindness of our God, of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, see what, he, what God did. God did not give us more money. God did not give us, you know, better house or something like that. See what God did. He said he saved us not on the basis of our deeds, like Islam, which we have done in righteousness. Like Islam is not there. Paul did not write like Islam, please. You know, on the basis of our deeds of righteousness that we've done, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration. So that word regeneration simply means like a renovation. All right. He said, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So this whole regeneration of hearts that has been the problem, it was done by the Holy Spirit. Through the mercy, by the mercy of God, according to his mercy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So. Why Christianity? I'd like to read something as I close. I want to, I want to round everything up. Why Christianity? First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 56 to 57. It says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Now, let me, let's just leave it there. I'm not going to go to verse 57 yet. Let me build suspense so that when 57 drops, you will get it. So what Paul is saying is this, the sting of death is sin. That is the cause of death is sin. Are you following me? So we have a problem here. And the strength of sin is the law. So we can see that when we die, we have an impending death coming for, for us like this. It's coming, it's coming. And what causes it to our sin? And our sin also gives us another problem because there is a law, there's a moral law out there that condemns us, like I said. But see what verse 57 says. It says, But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So outside of Christ, there is no victory over sin and death and the condemnation and the judgment you have before God. Hallelujah. So outside of Christianity, I wrote here that there is no hope for mankind in the face of his death and his impending judgment before God. I hope I've done justice to that topic. Yes, you have. This was an amazing time. Thank you so very much. Thank you so very much. Please, let's appreciate our teacher today. Just, you can unmute yourself and just say we love you. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, we're not going to let him go yet because 
Um, we have questions. BMG family has questions. <laughs> um, I like think I said, Daniel. Yeah. I don't know everything. If you if I don't know it, I will tell you. That's that's perfectly okay. Daniel is going to um, facilitate this part, so uh, I'm sure he has gathered some questions from people who have. Or you know what? Let's save time. If you have a question and you're bold enough to speak out right now, unmute yourself. The rule is you you have to have your video turned on. You can start. Thank you for this opportunity. Yeah. Um, please. What's the name of the dog that you killed to atone for the sacrifice of the antler? I did not say dog. You tell me where you hear the dog. I did not say it was a dog. Thank you. All right. But yeah, thank you for this session. It was very, very insightful. Thank you. Thank you so much. I know we had uh, Treasure. So yeah, Treasure wanted to ask a question. I'm not sure if he's still here. Hey, good evening. Oh, right. Hi, good evening. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Okay, um, so quick one. You mentioned something about the Nazis and their killing of about 6 million Jews. Yeah. Uh, but there's this popular belief that Hitler was actually a self-proclaiming. Self-proclaiming Christian. Yes, I know it was a self-proclaiming Christian, but can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you, clearly. Yes. Okay. So like I said, I know it was a self-proclaiming Christian, but when you look at the ideology that, you know, uh, that fuels, what, should, what, what would I use now? The Nazis, basically. It was not Christian. Like, I think it was Marxism or so. I'm not sure. But the ideology behind, you know, the Nazi, where they felt like they were superior race over another, was not Christian-like. So Hitler could have claimed to be a Christian, you know, but the question now is, the ideology behind um, the Nazis, basically, you know, that regime behind the whole government and all that was not Christian-like. Okay. Um, then the second question basically was or had to do with the fact that you mentioned the very popular argument in which a lot of atheists yeah. actually. Um, yeah. The problem, so if God is all loving and all uh -uh. and all- I know treasure now. Ah. <laughs> uh -uh. I was, I was trying to look, sorry, let me give myself a gift. Treasure Alpha. It's been a while. Yeah, it's yeah. been a long time. So, um, and the argument is, if God is all loving and all good and all powerful, yeah. why is there so much evil? And they argued this on the basis of his attributes, that either he's not all loving or he's not all powerful. He's not all okay. loving in that he allows evil or he's not mm. all powerful that he can't deal with the problem of evil. So I would mm -hmm. ask, when you encounter an atheist or you encounter someone that brings up or poses such question, how exactly do you answer that in relation to the attributes of God? So I think it was Frank Turek that said that, I heard this from, he said, God is responsible for the fact of evil, but not for the act of evil. And here's what he meant by that. God, when God created us, he created us free, all right? you know, free to choose him and not to choose him. The only way God could have, you know, evaded evil was not to make us free. I follow him. He could have just made us like the universe, you know, just sustained by his word and, you know, just do his beatings like that. But as long as human beings are free, it proves that they are capable of not obeying God. I follow him. So how do we reconcile the goodness, the love of God and the power of God with evil? I think the cross explains it. 
because now we don't have a God who is just, you know, far and, you know, doesn't care about what is going on here. We see God actually take on flesh and came to dwell with us, experienced evil. I mean, he was unjustly killed. Are you following me? He experienced evil and gave us a solution and escape for evil, from evil. Are you following me? In his resurrection and telling us that, okay, there'll come a time where you guys will be here and every tear will be wiped away and all that. So how would I, how would I uh, respond to an atheist when it brings the problem of evil? First of all, I'll just make it clear that, uh, like I said, God is not responsible for... No, I think I'll ask them, okay, if God was to stop evil, how do you think he was? He should. Because when you think about it, people expect God to stop evil. They tell you things like, oh, if God is good, why doesn't he stop evil? And when they read, for example, the flood that happened, in Noah's day, they'll say, ah, no, then God is not all good. He's not all loving. Please pick, pick a side. You expect him to stop evil by, you know, maybe sending a brimstone or a flood. And when he does that, you're like, no, he's not good. He's not loving. Do you get what I'm saying? So human beings, mm-hmm. human beings don't have an idea of how God should stop evil. Are you okay? So when an atheist, you know, poses that question to me, I'll ask him, okay, how do you expect, since you think, since you, you sort of know better, okay? you know you are all knowing how do you think you would have stopped evil if you were in god's shoe and they don't realize like i like i was saying earlier in my teaching that they don't realize they themselves they are evil if god was to stop evil my guy nobody's going to exist nobody's going to exist and people will still question god's god's goodness like that are you following so it's clear that people when it comes to god's you know, response to evil. Because if God is just, yes, he has to do something about evil. And when God does something about evil, they have an issue with that. So I'll just, I mean, the answer is the gospel itself. The answer is the gospel itself. So I think that's how I'll deal with it. Satisfied? <laughs> A bit. <laughs> okay, thank you. Thank you, Treasure. So do we have any other questions I have a testimony as we wait for another question. Guys, I survived the tornado. Literally. We got got a warning earlier just before I set up everything that we should go into hiding and, you know, cover ourselves because it was coming our way. And they said till 2.45, which is 8.45. And see where we are now, an hour after. So God has been faithful. Thank you. All right, just a testimony. I wanted to share with you guys. <laughs> I'd be so like, what is wrong with this boy? I mean, it was a tornado, but it wasn't. Really it didn't get to your side. That's why. Here, so it wasn't that heavy. But yeah, we thank God for life. All right. So, Hi, any Abisola. other questions? Um, hello, can you guys hear me? Daniel here. Yeah, Daniel. Hi, Daniel. Yeah. Okay, so um, yeah, congratulations again, NS. And Abby, stop hating on a survivor, please. Um, so there are two questions. The first one is from Daniel. I'm referring to the part where he talked about Adam being chased out of Ajana. Sorry, heaven, because I know how you pronounce them. Aljana. Aljana. Okay. Um, Aljana. Okay. So mm. the question is: Aren't we descendants from Adam? If we are, isn't that why we aren't in the garden? Because Adam sinned, you know. Yeah. So that's basic, basically the question. They want to know. Um, I think oh, yes, explained. that's that, that's that's what I'm saying about Islam. Like, if Islam claims that we're all naturally good and there's no, you know, original sin like that, and Adam was sent out of the garden and we're here, 
I mean, if we're good, why are we not in the garden also? I mean, let God give us a chance to even prove ourselves. Let Allah, you know, give us a chance to prove that we're naturally good. Do you get? I think that was the point I was trying to emphasize. Right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I I privately messaged her like that's exactly the points you were making. Yeah. Okay. What's the second um, question? Go ahead. The second question is from Shaitan. And she's basically asking, was Jesus killed or did he die on his own? Both. I mean, I think that's 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 a false antithesis, you know, trying to show that okay, one could not be without the other. I think it's both because Jesus said that he laid down his life and um he has the authority to take it back up, you know. Yeah, so many times they wanted to kill Jesus that Jesus evaded death. So I think it's both. Scripture teaches okay. that it's both. Yeah. Okay. So okay, um somebody has a question. Lanry, please um you can go ahead and ask your question. Inu, well, well done. Ah, uh, is that Larry Kolari? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hi. Hi, Ini. So, okay, yeah. I just want to ask one question, please. Sorry, I can't yeah. put on my video now because of the background. Um, Muslims believe <clears throat> um, Jesus Christ was created in will i say similar way to adam adam yeah yes so what would be your reply to that like if they say First what's all, so special about jesus creation like since adam too was birthed out of nothing or from sand yeah yeah yes now here's the difference between adam and jesus so adam didn't have a mother jesus did i mean why didn't allah just create why did he need a vessel to, you know, bring Jesus from uh, forth? Are you following me? Mm-hmm. So the, mm-hmm. uh, the the explanation that they were created the same doesn't really hold much water because, I mean, there's still a difference there. There was a human factor. Are you following me? And, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think that that is even clear. You know, the fact that there was a human factor in it, so there's really no, uh, there's no similarity here. Although, yes, for the case of Adam, he needed no father, he needed no mother. But Jesus had the mother, so they are not the same. Okay, and that's the thing about Islam. You know, Islam borrows from other religions. You know, it's like that student that copies in class and doesn't even know what is copied. You know, Islam calls Jesus Al Masih, the Messiah, says he was born of a virgin. But without Christian theology, Islam cannot explain why Jesus is called the Messiah or why Jesus was born of a virgin. So if a Muslim, you know, tells me, oh, there's no difference between Jesus and Adam, I'm like, okay, Jesus had a, you know, human factor. He was born of a woman. Why yeah. Why at that point in history was Jesus born like that way? Why was he born of a virgin? What's so special about him? And if really, you know, Muhammad is superior to Jesus, why wasn't Muhammad born? I mean, that would have even made sense for Muhammad since the last prophet and seal, you get. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Good yeah. to see you here, Larry, as well. Good to see you. <laughs> yeah. It's been like forever. Yeah. Yes, so we yes, have more questions, though. So um, we can we can take three more. So three let's, more. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So there's I'll, I'll I'll read one from Zoom here, and then the next one is coming from Mixella. Okay, so this one is coming from Olola Day. Um, the question is, how do you explain to someone who strongly believes in the evolution theory and also thinks the creation story in the Bible was more of symbolic than like an actual account? Can I be honest with you? As your teaching, <laughs> I've not studied on that. 
I've not studied on that, so I can't give you um, a very, very conclusive answer now. But I don't know. Uh, I think that will be another teacher for another day. Right. Hopefully, you know, I'll be able to do my research and read up and give you an answer. But right now, I don't have an answer. Yeah, I, I think what what actually um, I could re- uh, refer you to a resource that's really helpful. So um, yeah. I know Ray Comfort has a a very beautiful documentary on oh, creationism yeah. and evolutionism. So, um, so yeah, I would send that to the group, to the WhatsApp group immediately after this meeting. All right. But yeah, okay. that, that um, I, I would like to hear from, um, you know, like, would you be willing to come again after you studied? To on give what us topic? This or any other one. The thing is, the thing is, so I'm a specialist. I know that. That's <laughs> I, true. Okay, so I'm not I'm not really focused on you know atheism and all that. I'm more I'm more focused on Islam, right. you know, as I think as a worldview. So I don't know. God willing, Shah, let me know before time if it's sure, possible. Sure, sure. All right. But I think there are people that are well equipped, better equipped than I am, to, to take this kind of topic. But let's see how it goes. Okay. Um. So the next question I'm going to read is from. Miriam, and it's a long one, so get ready. Um, I'll read them. Oh, wow. So, says um, she's not really sure what she's asking, but her first question is, what defines God? Because you said if God isn't good, then he isn't God. If he isn't just, then he isn't God. So is God defined by goodness, justice, etc.? That's the first question. So would you like to address that first? All right. All right. So um, naturally, we reason from effect to cause. So when you see, uh, for example, maybe water flowing out of the tap, you reason that, okay, the cause, but maybe someone opened the tap, then there's, there's a source through which water is flowing from. So therefore, when we look at creation, you know, God has revealed himself, you know, in three, three aspects. They are, they are called natu- um, the three revelations of God. There's natural theology, there's moral theology, and you know, special theology. And special theology is simply talking about okay, God's revelation maybe through the person, through prophets or the book. But when we look at natural creation, now you don't need any form of special revelation to know that, you know, for example, when you look within yourself, realize that we have a sense of justice, we have a sense of love, you know, we have a sense of what good and you know evil is. So when we reason back from we as an effect, you know, because we are not contingent beings, sorry, we are contingent beings, rather, you know, we depend on something else to explain our origin. So when we look back, I hope I'm not being too technical. No, please go ahead. All right. So when we look, all right, when we look back from ourselves as a contingent being back to our source, we have to therefore conclude that, you know, the source has to be just because how can we explain justice without the source? Are you following? Am yes, I clear? Yeah. Yes. So how can we explain goodness without a source of goodness? How can we explain love without a source of love? And like I said, God is perfect. We expect God to be the greatest of all, you know. And if God is great, He must therefore. You know, these attributes that are essential to, you know, these attributes that are being communicable to us, that are being communicated to us, God must express them, you know, perfectly. I would think. 
Okay. Okay. Um, thank you so very much for that. That was that was actually quite insightful. Okay, I would like to go on to the second question. Second part of our question right. says, you mentioned God's justice and God's mercy and God showing his mercy in Christ. What comes to mm. mind is what people say about God in the Old Testament and how he was the fire and brimstone God. And then Jesus mm. came and now God is now so good. So maybe shed more light on God's justice and mercy. Can you like, you know, give us like a elevator answer to that? All right, so when, when you look to the Old Testament, one thing you need to know is that God did not just wake up one morning and decide to punish anybody. For example, God waited 400 years for Sodom and Gomorrah to repent. You know, God, even Israel, God's own people, God was not biased with them. Whenever they did something wrong, God punished them. And, you know, God sent prophets after prophets after prophets to warn them of, okay, if you guys don't do the things, you know, I saw one uh, picture. He said, Exodus, God says, do the things and you shall be my people. The people say, yes, we'll do the things. God said, okay, if you don't do the things, I'll punish you. They said, we'll do the things. Then afterwards, they didn't do the things. God punished them. God said, prophet to them and said, do the things. They said, okay, we'll try to do the things. Then in the New Testament, Jesus now dies and gives us a stronger motivation to do the things. So I just said all that thing because I think it was very interesting and explains the theology of the Bible. But when we go back to the Old Testament, like I said, we see God, God, God did not just, you know, didn't wake up and say, you know what, I'm going to punish this nation. I'm going to do this and do that. God is slow to wrath. It's something that we've seen. Let me open a passage, you know, I think it's Exodus chapter 31. The when Moses encountered God, um, just give me a sec. It's not 31. Um, okay. Sorry, Exodus 34. Yes. Exodus 34, verse um, 6. It says, Then the Lord passed by his front. By him, but sorry, then the Lord passed by in the front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Who keeps loving kindness for thousands? Who forgives iniquities, transgression, and sin? Yet it will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Wait, this seems like a contradiction. This seems impossible here. On one hand, he's saying that, oh, I, I, I'm loving, I'm loving, um, I forgive iniquity, transgression, and sins, yet I will not leave the guilty unpunished. There seems to be like a contradiction here. And like I said, outside of the cross, there is no perfect explanation for how God can be both loving and, you know, leaving the guilty unpunished. Are we clear? So when we look to the Old Testament, we don't just see we, God. Yes, we see. Yes, like Genesis, it just justify. You know, yes, we see God's justice in action, but we also see God's mercy in the fact that He still stretched forth His hand to these people to reach out to Him and you know to come back to Him, but they chose not to. Are we following? And the same thing we see in the New Testament also. God did not become unjust in the New Testament. When we read uh, places like, for example. Ephesians chapter 2, 
where Paul said that the word of God is coming on the children of disobedience. Are you following me? In test, uh, I think the second testament or first testament, one of the two, you know, Paul was encouraging the church and saying, okay, I know you people have been persecuted at the moment, but keep calm. God is going to, you know, reward or, you know, be just and punish those who, you know, afflict you. So we don't see a God who changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament. God is consistent. Are you following? Of course, in the New Testament, now we see the mercy of God you know, elevated and we see the cross and all that, but we also see the justice of God, both in the cross and for those who reject the cross. So I hope that is clear. Okay, thank you so very much. Um, I hope that answered Miriam's question. So the last question for tonight is coming from Treasure. He actually yeah. asked two questions, but I'm only going to choose one. I'll have the answer. Okay. By the way, Treasure is a theologian. No? Yes, yes. We are learning what we are learning what Where Treasure is. Treasure, if I if I not answer you, don't be angry. Okay, so um, I think I'll I'll choose his second question. He says, "Someone choose the simple one." <laughs> okay, let me choose the simple one. Okay, I'll choose the first one then. It says, um, there's been a debate against classical apologetics and people are tending more to presuppositional apologetics. You think that is simple? It does you not edify. <laughs> okay, let me let me ask please, the second, the second one. one. Please, the second one, not the first one. Thank you. Okay. Um, someone could argue that he's talking like this simply, that you, you are talking like this simply because of the society and environment you have grown up in. So how can you clearly show that you are being objective and not biased? Because someone can also point out seemingly objections in Christianity. So how can you clearly show objectivity in thinking? All right. So like I said, if you, if you followed my teaching, I started from the standpoint of, you know, without any special revelation, I pointed to the fact that man is basically flawed. Man is evil. You know, man... man is not good not like man is not capable of doing good but man by nature is flawed and like i said the answer to what religion is true must be that which perfectly describes man and also offers him the solution and like i said christianity perfectly describes man and the claims of christianity hinges on the person of jesus now if jesus if, uh, if the statement, you know, if the claims Jesus made about his deity was true, we must give credence to whatever he says. And Jesus proved his deity, proved that whatever he was saying was true by his resurrection. So if you want to, you know, object to what I'm saying, you have to go straight to what, you know, strengthens the argument of the Christian faith, which is the resurrection. If you can debunk the resurrection, the house of Christianity comes falling down. Christianity hinges on just an historical fact. And as long now, Christianity does not depend on someone's special revelation. I mean, that is subjective. You can throw objection. How do we know, you know, you saw God like he claimed you said, like the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witness and all that. But Christianity hinges just like maybe, um, let me think of an event. Uh, I don't want to use my name. <laughs> let me let me say uh, the Independence Day. Now you get it's an historical event. 
it either happened or it didn't. If it did, we must give credence and we must listen to what Jesus has to say. So I'm not being biased here. I'm starting from a natural you know, standpoint that shows that there's something fundamentally wrong with us. And whatever is true must perfectly describe us and give us a solution to this our problem. All right. Thank you. I just have to stop here because we are already out of time. We have like three minutes and I have some announcements to make. But thank you so much. Please, you guys, um, you know, send your love with emojis and all of that. This was an amazing time. Thank you so much. The, by the way, this is going to this is recorded and it's going to be uploaded on YouTube and all our podcast platforms and you also have access to them all right so i just want to say welcome to anyone who is joining us here for the first time we love you so much welcome to bible marathon like i said at the very beginning we're committed to seeing you grow in your faith in the knowledge of god's word and so you can keep coming um we have a whatsapp group it's a thriving whatsapp group where there's a lot of you know activities to keep you in check and to keep you accountable so um that link is going to be shared on the on the uh, on the chat and you can um, you know join the group it's open to everyone now we have activities we do every every week uh, this is what we do every Sunday we have special teachings every Sunday and this was one of them um, on this apologetic Sunday so um, for this week BMG uh, we're reading Hebrews chapter 1 to chapter 4 all right. So as usual, you would study it on your own and then you meet together with your accountability group and you would, um, you know, do all the studying together. And we'll meet again on Sunday and have a review. Um, that was beautiful. Like the one that was beautifully done today by Miriam. All right. And then next week, Sunday is Charisma Sunday. Who's excited? Last Charisma Sunday was on, you know, who can tell me who remembers? We basically talked about utterance gifts, right? How many of you remember? So it was titled utterance. And now we're going to the other group of spiritual gifts, which is knowledge gifts, you know. So we'll um, have, it's also going to be here on the same platform, Zoom and Mixlr, same time next week, all right? I think the date there is wrong. So ignore the date, it's next week, Sunday. Um, also, this week um, on Thursday, Sorry, can you hear me now? Yeah, on Thursday, we're going to have our conversation as we usually do, our pit stop session. And, you know, we've been talking about sex and God's design for that. So this um, Sunday is going to be, uh, sorry, this Thursday is going to be the topic wrapped. You know, if sex is good, why do I have to wait until marriage? Let's get a biblical answer to that question as we always do here. All right. So as usual, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. Safe space join our WhatsApp group and um, we'll be glad to have you. So I'm going to call Abisola to pray for us right now as we close. All right. I think I'll do it because we're already out of time. Oh, precious father. We thank you so very much for this time. Thank you for this opportunity to grow in your word and in our defense, the defense of the faith. You've told us, Lord, that we should be ready at all times to defend the hope that we have. And Lord, we are learning and we're becoming more responsible in this area. Thank you for our teacher today. We ask, Lord, that he's strengthened to do more ministry with more, with more wisdom and more insight in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I pray for every single one here that needs a healing, that needs a touch. They are healed right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we prosper in the will of God. We move by your spirit. And all things work together for our good, as you've promised. Thank you, precious Father. Lord, we pray as a family, BMG, 
Bible Marathon Group, we grow, we grow in line with your will, not outside of your will. And we commit this week into your hands. It's a blessed week in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this recording. We hope this session was a blessing to you as it was for us. If you'd like to be an active part of Bible Marathon, maybe join in live on our Sunday sessions, be part of the WhatsApp group, or would just like to know more about the Bible Marathon project, visit our website, bit.ly slash bmglive4 for more details. That's bit.ly slash bmglive4 for more details. We pray you stay blessed, experiencing progress and joy in your faith.